0: Well, my wife is a great cook and I'm not just saying that because I'm up here and she's sitting down there and she's embarrassed right now but she's a great cook so Monday night she cooked just a killer meal on Monday night and I took flank steak and she said hey will you cut this flank steak up into slices thin slices and she threw it on the skillet and she put ginger on it, and she put basil on it. Are you getting hungry yet? Um, she put a little something something sauce, which I don't know what it was exactly, but it was really good, and then she put green onions on there to mix it up, and she mixed that up and cooked that and on a bed of lettuce, because we're trying not to do much bread right now, and so she cooked this killer meal. The kids loved it, and after the meal, I don't know about how this works in your family, but in, in my family, I'm usually, or sometimes, the person who cleans up all right, I like throwing. I get satisfaction of throwing things in the trash. And so I, I don't know about you, but I go through this thing of okay, there's just a little bit left and so how long if I put it in a in a, in a little container, how long is it going to sit in my refrigerator? How much room do I have in my refrigerator? You've ever been there? And I usually defer to throwing it in the trash. And so much much interesting things happen with that sometimes and so I'm taking all the scraps all the scraps from the seasoning that we put in and um, it's on the board the, the cutting board and I'm about to put it in the trash can and my wife says stop those green onions can be regrown and I'm looking at this stem of this green onion and I'm looking at its roots and there's not much stem left I'm looking at the bulb and I'm like, what do you mean the, the green onion? What do you mean you can regrow this? It's like this is a foreign concept to me that you could regrow green onions. And then she had this really sweet look on her face and she's like, let me have those. and I'm going to show you this. I'm going to teach you a little something. And so she takes the little saucer and she puts water in the saucer and she takes some tape on both sides so that the green onions are sticking up and she puts it in the window seal. this is at night but she puts it in the window seal so that tomorrow the light can come in on it and she's like this is going to grow back I didn't believe and about two hours later without even any light she brings the saucer over and says you see it and there was like a millimeter or two of growth and, and I'm like a kid I can't believe that this thing is growing we just cut it all up I left it for dead in the trash or I was about to throw it away And it's already started growing. The next day, this has been like my little fun experiment every day, to go to the sink and look at the green onions. And I think we have a picture of it here. The green onions have grown, all right? So there's water in the bottom and the roots. And then you've got tape around it to support it. And you've got light coming in. And this thing's grown like at this point. That was taken yesterday. It's grown like four or five inches. See, growth takes the right ingredients. The right support, the right amount of time, and the same is true in the Christian life. Are you growing in your faith? What has helped you grow in your faith? Who do you look to to help you grow? Do you ever feel chopped up by past hurts or even personal sins? You ever felt thrown out by others? Do you feel discouraged or perhaps you've become even complacent? Complacent and not pr- pushing forward not filling the water back up flipping down the blinds or maybe complacency in your life looks different maybe you think you know what I've just arrived you know I've been doing this long enough and I have just kind of arrived and I don't need those things to grow anymore I've got my spiritual life figured out listen whether you are here this morning and you don't yet know Christ, but you're here and you're going, what does a relationship with Jesus look like? To move forward in that, to ask questions about that, to understand the good news of the gospel, that Christ has died for your sins, to ask somebody more about it, to move forward. Or maybe you're a new believer and you're going, I don't know how to grow. I don't know, what does it take to grow? I don't, I read, you know, I don't know how to read the Bible, can you help me? What kind of Bible should I get? How do I grow in my faith? What do I need to grow? How do I pray? Or maybe you've been doing this for a little longer and you're growing and maturing. Maybe you've been doing it a long time like Paul. Where he says, after 30 years of knowing Jesus, I want to keep knowing Jesus. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. Where are you at? Wherever you're on, wherever you're at in your journey with Christ, whether you're going at a snail's pace or a walk or a jog or a sprint, are you on the path of growth? Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3, verses 12 through 21. And Paul's going to show the Philippians some essential ingredients needed to mature and grow in their faith And there are four ingredients that I want to show you this morning that also help us grow in our faith. To mature and grow. Four essential ingredients. Philippians 3, I think it's on page 981 on the Bible, on the end of your row. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up here. If you know the book of Philippians so far, we've been walking through it. This is how we do things around here. We take a book and we just walk through it and explain it and understand it and apply it. And so this book, this letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians, is about the joy that we can have in Christ, that we can rejoice in the Lord and know Him. And he's challenged them, he's encouraged them. Last week we saw how Paul sees his spiritual life, he saw the gain of Christ and the loss of his past and all the things he tried to do to have a relationship with God that were really rubbish, that were no good. And here this morning we'll see four ingredients that Paul gives the Philippians. And Paul gives us, the word of God gives us, to grow in our faith. So let me read it. Philippians 3, verses 12 through 21. Not that I've defined this, or that I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus, catch this phrase, Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if, if anything, and you think otherwise, God will reveal it to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. That's Jesus. Verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, They glory in their shame, their minds are set on earthly things. But, contrast, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ." Who will transform our lowly body to be like the glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Let me show you the first ingredient. The first ingredient of growing in Christ is that we grow by realizing that we've not arrived. Do you see it there? Realize you haven't arrived. Look at verse 12 Paul the Apostle Paul the celebrity the one that they're all looking to to go he's a spiritual giant he says not that I've already obtained this if you wanna know what this is look at the previous verses the previous couple verses he says I wanna know Jesus I wanna know his resurrection and last I wanna I wanna attain the resurrection of the dead meaning when I die because Paul's situation is is he doesn't know if Caesars gonna kill him or not he says not that I've already obtained this Or I'm already, what's the word? Perfect. I'm not perfect. Look at all the things he's not. He says in verse 13, I don't consider that I've made it my own. So here's the deal. We haven't arrived yet. Paul hadn't arrived yet. And that was encouraging for the Philippian church because he's the guy that they probably thought didn't put their shoe on the same way they did. And he's saying in an encouraging way, hey, I've not arrived yet either. That's the background. He's saying that maturity doesn't look like for himself that he's perfect, that he's blameless, that he doesn't sin anymore. There's also something else we think that's going on around the Philippian church or maybe even in the Philippian church is there's this group of people, that looks like, that are saying, remember last week we talked about how people who were holding believed in Jesus but they also wanted to sprinkle the law into it and say, hey, you can believe in Jesus but you also need to keep all these laws. And Paul says, I was blameless. According to the law, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He, he throws out his whole religious resume. And what does he say about himself? He says he's blameless according to the law. As if the law or doing things can earn you favor with God. But here, there's a group of people likely, the logical progression is if you can attain it by keeping the law, then you can be perfect. So there were people that really believed that, hey, I've got to a place in my spiritual life that I don't sin you ever run into anybody like that today there is a group of people out there in certain flavors of church world who say you know what I've come to a place where the Spirit of God has worked in such a way in my life that I might make mistakes but I don't sin anymore You ever run into anybody like that I remember when I was a youth pastor and I was taking a trip a bunch of kids to Colorado and the bus driver I usually get to know the bus driver well because he's he's driving the bus all night through the mountains of Colorado, so I want to make sure he's awake. And, and he's really, I've given him the care of my kids and somebody else's kids. And so I usually would try to get to know the bus driver. And I was this great conversation with this guy. He said, man, I'm a Christian, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, yeah, but I'm a, I'm a perfectionist. And that's kind of the label that they put on. I'm like, okay, well, tell me about that. Well, I think that the Holy Spirit has gotten me to a place where I don't sin anymore. And a few minutes later, we're talking about this. Now I'm really intrigued. But I got about 80 kids that I want to keep safe um, in the conversation. And something happened where somebody cuts him off and he, and he cusses at the car. And I'm thinking, what was that? And I said something like, hey, what was that? That was just a mistake. Okay, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Maybe you, you can logically get here. But there were people back then... Who took the law to that extent. To say hey we've attained this. We've got there. And Paul's saying. I'm not there. And that's what the true gospel does to us. Doesn't it? The true gospel humbles us. The gospel doesn't humiliate us. But it lets us know our need for Jesus. I hope in your Christian life. I think it's true in mine. I hope it's true in mine. That I realize my sin more today. Than I did yesterday. And 20 years ago when I came to faith that I'm not puffed up and this is what Paul is saying what a great example he's setting for the Philippians so here's the point you can't grow if you're perfect you don't have any reason to grow if you've already attained it if you're already there but look at Paul his former way of life he's blameless look at verse 12 though there's a shift he says I'm not I'm not I'm not blameless I'm not perfect but then look what he says, he says, but I press on, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made it his own. So here's the thing, Paul's saying, I haven't attained it, but I'm going to press on, I'm going to make effort in my Christian life to grow, and the reason and the motivation of my growth is what? Do you see it there in verse 12? Because, you see the word because in verse 12, because Christ Jesus had, has made me his own. You know, we often think in the Christian life, the way that we often think is, okay, I need to trust in Jesus and believe in Jesus, and this is good, by the way. I need to believe in Jesus, and um, I need to do all this to please Him, and that's right and good. But I want you to see in this passage, who's been at work first? It's Jesus that has rescued you. It's Jesus that has taken you and come to you first. It's Jesus that also takes hold of you and cares for you and holds you up. Do you see it? Verse 12, that's his motivation. I press on because Jesus is pressed into me. He's loved me in spite of me. He's rescued me from the garbage. He's tr- rescued me from myself. This is Jesus' work in our lives. If you know Christ, that's what Christ has done for you. He has made us his own. So we make effort to grow Here's the thing, let me just try to flush this out a little bit in our lives. I don't think there's many of us, or any of us in this room that would say, hey, I've arrived, I'm perfect, I don't sin anymore. If you're here, and that's what you believe, I'm glad you're here, but this is probably not the church you should be at if, if you believe that. However, sometimes, as we talked about last week, we talked about legalism, that we're going to keep all these rules And the rules aren't the issue. Those fences that we keep for ourselves aren't the issue. The issue is we think those things help us in the sense of God loving us more because we do certain things. And I think the temptation of the legalists sometimes in us, it may not be perfection, but sometimes you go, man, I'm really walking with Jesus well. And you know what? I want to celebrate that with you. If you're reading your Bible and you're trusting Him and living by faith, let's celebrate that. But the dark side of that sometimes is We kind of get full of ourselves and saying, ma'am, I'm walking a little better than that person. Stick your chest out a little bit. Look at what I've done. It's a temptation for us. But there's also an opposite warning here. When you think about not arriving, I think most of us would say in this room, you know what? I really haven't arrived. I've definitely not arrived. I know I'm a fallen human being. I know I have problems. I see them every day. But here's what often happens. Have you ever heard or used the phrase, well, I'm not perfect. Well, I'm not Jesus. See some elbowing here with spouses, right? And people around you. I'm not Jesus. Well, that's just my personality. That's the way I am. Yeah, I'm fallen. There's two things about that. One, it's true. The statement that you say, when you say that, the statement is true. You're not perfect. You aren't like Jesus. Right, but, but there's an implication behind the statement usually when we say that. Well, I'm not perfect. It's usually in response to something that I've done that may not be right, that's wrong. And what it ends up being usually, not always, but usually it's a heart issue. It's a complacency about pursuit and growth. You go, well, I've just fallen. I can't grow. It's an excuse, right? And that's how we use it. And that's the danger of just living in and dwelling in, well, I'm not perfect. So be careful, See 3 as we think. Paul is certainly saying both. He's saying, I've not arrived and the gospel has humbled me and Jesus has humbled me, but I'm going to press on. I'm going to keep working toward the prize to know Him and know the power of the resurrection and attain to the resurrection of the dead whenever that is that I might die. So there's intention to His life. He knows He hasn't arrived. That's your first key ingredient. Realize you have not arrived. What else? What's the second ingredient? Look at verse 13 through 16. We grow also by looking forward, not backwards. Do you see it there? Verse 13 continues the thought in the second part. One thing that I do, I forget what lies behind and I strive forward. That's a sprinter's term for running hard, straining toward what lies ahead. I press on, there it is again, second time, toward the goal of the prize of the upward call. So he's got a vision in mind. He's got a direction in mind. He's fixed his eyes on Jesus. Verse 15, let those who are mature think this way. But look at the grace of Paul, this leader, to the Philippians. And then, if any of you think otherwise, meaning you're not there yet, and you don't think that way, and you're struggling maybe with your past, God will also reveal it to you. There's a great lesson for leaders in churches, leaders spiritually here, there are people on different paths, are on the same path, but grow at different rates. There's a grace that Paul is showing them to say, hey, maybe you're stuck in your past. Maybe you're stuck in first gear. Maybe you're growing at a snail pace. There's grace there. And the prayer for the leader is that God might grow them, that God might reveal to them. <coughs> Excuse me. And so, we grow by looking forward not backwards. Looking forward, not backwards. So here's the deal. I want to I think just a minute. I want to stop and think about Paul and this Philippian church. I need to think about the past for the Philippians. This is the first place in Europe that the gospel goes. And so these people in Philippi, and we read about them in Acts 16, they don't have a religious past except for idolatry likely these are people that live for themselves you think about all the think about your assorted past before you knew Jesus And you think about all that's there for the Philippians they have baggage just like you and me and you think about Paul's assorted past he gives you the resume before he was the highbrow religious zealot who killed Christians you gotta know that Paul after he comes to faith And the guy that he meets that he calls Lord, and 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 the guy that he meets that calls Lord, he says, Why do you persecute me? I'm Jesus. You gotta know in that moment, all of his life, all of this pursuit of religious zealous is flipped on its head. You don't think that guy had regrets and images about things that he had done or participated in before knowing Jesus, the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah? You see, there's a past here for Paul. There's a past here for the Philippian church. They had regrets. They had baggage just like you and me. They had conflicts. Okay, So there's junk in the past that they had to deal with. But there's also some kind of probably some religious glory days too. I want you to think about Paul's resume. Okay, From the point he wrote this back to when he came to know Jesus was 30 years. I want you to think about his religious resume after rejecting being a Pharisee and accepting Christ. He had planted a lot of churches. He had led a lot of people to Jesus. He had seen God do amazing things. People looked to him and said, what do we do here, Paul? He was a religious leader. He had glory days. You know what glory days sometimes do for us? They make us coast. We rest on our laurels. That's not what you see with Paul here. He's got an assorted past, but he also has some good things in his past that he could rest on, but he's saying, none of those things I can rely on. I can't rely on my past. I don't, I forget what lies behind, both good or bad, and I push forward. I want you to think about that in your own life as it relates to your own spiritual journey. What are the things in your past? Maybe it's family maybe it's the church you grew up in maybe it's this church The things in your past that make it difficult to for you to trust Jesus and to grow and to move forward we all have it we all have things in our past that make spiritual life hard Paul is saying to you and he's saying to me doesn't matter pursue forward pursue Christ if you guys some of you know my story If you knew my story, you'd say, there's no way that guy goes to church. There's no way that guy would be in ministry or be a pastor. And it took me years to get over some stuff in my past. Actually, what I did in my past is I just held on to it and didn't deal with the reality that Jesus was pursuing me and those things that happened in the life of the church I was in and in my family There's still this relationship with Jesus that he wants. And guess what? The church is a bunch of broken people. And junk happens. And so I don't know what that looks like for you. Your past. But don't let it affect your present and your future. Jesus wants to heal that. And surely our past, surely our past we can learn from. Surely there's foundation in our past to draw from. Is what we do with history we draw from it so we don't make future mistakes but don't let past fails and hurts push you away from pursuing christ and being a part of the body of christ who were all sinners who are trying to grow and we're trusting in jesus to do that but there's also these successes right so the second question i would have for you what are the glories of your spiritual past that are harmful or not allowing you to grow today and tomorrow. I don't know if you remember this old movie, Napoleon Dynamite. It's like this really cheap, dumb, funny movie that made millions. Remember Uncle Rico? Uncle Rico and Napoleon Dynamite, he's living in the past. He's living for the glory days. I don't even know if he was actually an ex-quarterback, right? But he sure claimed to be. He sure claimed to be, and all he did, he remember the videos that he recorded of himself throwing a football at age like 45? He's living in the past. And he's still trying to throw the ball over the mountain. We don't live in our past, so what is it? Even the glory days, maybe you, in your 20s you said, hey, you look back, maybe you're in your 30s or 40s, and you go, man, spiritual life looked different then. And I, was, I hung out with people three days a week, and we really had a community. Well, guess what? Maybe you had kids, and maybe it just looks different now. Are you looking back at your religious, spiritual glory days? Is that affecting the future? Is that affecting now? See, God wants you to grow now. So Paul's saying, look forward, not backwards. Paul's saying, move forward. You know this imagery here that he, that he uses here, where he says, strain? Straining forward is not just any runner. Paul likes using athletic imagery, and so I'm not just pulling this out of the, the weeds because I like sports examples, but in this passage when he says straining forward, it's not the long distance runner he's talking about, he's talking about the sprinter, and when you're a sprinter and you're running the 100 meter dash, you're putting, exerting all your energy right in front of you, and if you're a sprinter, you can't look back, your coach is never going to tell you, hey, look back at your competition unless you're Usain Bolt, right, a sprinter never looks back, he doesn't have time to look back. He looks forward. When you drive your car, if you spend all your time looking in the rear view mirror, you're going to hit someone or something. We've got to look and press forward, church, as we think about growing in Christ. And so, we haven't arrived, we look forward, and we run the race, but we run with some people. That's what he's going to say next. There's a team that you need. Look at verse 17 through 19. Verse 17 through 19 says this, Join in imitating me. That's not Paul being arrogant. He's saying, I'm walking with Jesus. You can look at me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Maybe he's thinking back of Epaphroditus or Timothy who are coming to them. He's likely also thinking about, look around in your church For those who are mature, for those who are growing, for those who are faithful examples and follow their example too. That's what he's saying to the Philippian church here. He's he's calling them to look for right examples and then he shows them bad examples again. You see this pattern in Philippians where Paul says, look at Jesus, look at me, look at Titus or Timothy, look at Epaphroditus, don't look at these people, don't look at the Judaizers and look at these people, look at how he describes this group of people, it seems a little bit different. Look at what it says there, for many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, so he's sad about it, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ, but these are people that are around them, these are people maybe even in their church, They're end is destruction. Their God is their belly, so they have an insatiable appetite to please their own themselves. And they glory in their shame, meaning they do wrong and bad and evil things, and they glory in it. That doesn't really sound like the Judaizers who are trying to keep all the religious laws, I don't think. And their minds, and this is a summary statement, their minds are set on earthly things, not heavenly things. You know, some people look at this and say, okay, that's the Judaizers who we talked about a few weeks ago. Um, But most people say, no, those aren't the Judaizers. Those are the people who come to church, who have a cross around their neck and have the Christian T-shirt, but they really live like hell. They really live for themselves. They don't live for the Lord. It's like they want their fire insurance, you know, for heaven and they trust in Jesus or they say they do and then they live a completely different life they live for themselves they, they their minds are set all on their the earthly things in the New Testament you see these people running around as well so they're not probably Judaizers their big word impress your friends and neighbors antinomians remember when Paul in the book of Romans chapter 6 says this he says shall we continue to sin that grace might increase and what is his answer his rhetorical may it never be so he's talking to these people that are in and around the church that Wear the right clothes that come on Sunday, but their lives are lived completely different. And he's saying to them, "Don't live like that." Those aren't the examples, Philippians, that you need to follow. No, we need we grow. Thirdly, by choosing influencers and friends wisely, by choosing influencers and friends wisely. So he's saying to the Philippians, "You need to follow my example. You need to follow the example." Titus and Epaphroditus and other people who are following Christ. That's how you grow. I don't know about you, but I didn't grow in my faith until I had people close to me that were saying, here's how you grow, here's how you do it. Mentors, people in my life. And that's what he's saying to them. See, you become who you hang around. So this is a warning. Proverbs thirteen twenty: If you make friends with fools... It's just a Proverbs, right? If you make friends with fools, you're going to become a fool. Pretty simple principle, right? If you make friends with the wise, you become wise. That's what he's saying. So it's, it matters who influences us, who forms our thoughts, who we hang out with. Kids, that's really important for you right now. It's really important who you hang out with. And I know, I know, you hear your mom and dad talk about this all the time. Who are you hanging out with? Those are important questions for any parent to ask their kids. Because it matters. Because if you're hanging out with fools, you're going to become foolish. But that also applies to all of us. Who are the people that form and shape your thoughts? Good question to consider. Don't hear me say when I say that. Don't hear me say that you shouldn't hang out with people in the holy... You should just hang out with people in the holy huddle in your church. See that... The world around you needs Jesus, but if those are your closest friends or your only friends or the people you hang out with the most, you're going to be influenced by them. Do hear me say this, though. Don't hear me say that, but do hear me say that you need one another to grow, to run this race together. So are you connected? If you're at this church, are you connected to people in this church, whether it's through a community group or whether it's through men's ministry or women's ministry? I want you to just think about that for your marriage as well. Who's the couple that you're looking to outside of your own marriage to go, I think they do it pretty well. Let's go talk to them. You need that. So, it matters who you choose to influence you. Last, let me say this. One more way to grow. One more ingredient to grow. We grow by living in light of our heavenly home. Look at verse 20 and 21. We grow in light of our heavenly home. 20 and 21. He's saying these people's minds are set on where? The earth. Verse 20 says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Remember, he said that already. He's talked about their citizenship. These are people in a Roman colony that really like, they're patriots, okay? They're in a Roman colony, they really like their citizenship in Rome because it gives them all these benefits. They're patriots. But he's saying, hey, you need to remember, Philippians, Don't set your mind on earthly things. Set your mind on your heavenly home. Remember that. He said the church, this church, is a colony. It's a colony of the kingdom of heaven in Philippi. That's the way he's thinking about the church. I want you to think about that. Our citizenship, he goes on to say, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. He's referred to that before by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. C.S. Lewis said it this way, and this is a challenge. He said this, if you read history, you will find that Christians who did the most to present... Excuse me. If you read Christians who did the most for this present world... They were those who actually thought the most about the next world, about heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world of heaven that they have been so ineffective in this one. We need heaven solutions for earthly problems. We often get this backwards, don't we? In all the troubles of our lives, comforts of our lives, the world out there, we often, even as Christians, agree with earthly solutions to earthly problems. What we ought to be doing is praying, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you've got the, if you know Jesus, you've got the gospel, the truth of the gospel, and you've got God's word to help inform you about how challenges of our world can be met the gospel of Jesus and the implications of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That you might point people to the hope of heaven as opposed to just another means to not solve problems. What we often do, we think about this backwards. We take the world's way of dealing with things and just throw a little Jesus juice on it and expect it to work. No, the world needs heaven's view. So as we think about engagement in the world around us, the what they need the most is the gospel of Christ and the implications of gospel living is what they need. If I, took a, if I took a rope right now and I strung it from this pulpit all the way out the door and on that rope, that white rope, I put a little red dot right here. That red dot represents your life. And 70, 80, 90 years that you're going to live here. And the rest of that white string that could go on for eternity represents eternity. So are you living for eternity now? The way you make an impact in your own life and the life of other people around you is you live for your heavenly home. You think the way God would think, the word would think, heaven would have you think. I'll be honest. I'd confess to you that I often think most about that red little dot. What about you? you think about that red dot or do you think about eternity in view of the world that you're living in right now? So we grow by living in, in light of your, our heavenly home. That's how we grow last. You ever seen those parent save videos? Like the dad save videos? America's funniest videos sometimes. You see the kid that's coming down the slide? and he comes down the slide then he turns around and he's going back up the slide and the kids coming down and all of a sudden you see a parent grab the kid and pull him off see the kid riding his bike learning to ride his bike and dad or mom are next to him and he veers off or she veers off into the bench or worse dad or mom grabs the kid away pulls him away right before see the really scary kid video where the kids walking and the roads here and there's a car or a truck coming And the parent grabs them and takes hold of them and pulls them away. Those are only funny because the kid didn't get hit. Or something bad didn't happen. And the reality of the situation is those videos, there's a picture of what Christ has done for you. You're like the little kid. We are like the little kid who wanders away and needs Jesus to come and lay hold of us. To grab us and rescue us and pull us back. Are you wandering on your own? Jesus can rescue you. And if you know Christ, this is what he's done for you. He's taken the chopped up green onion that's left for the garbage and he's rescued you. Here's what's interesting about those videos. What's most interesting to me about those videos, in that moment, after a kid is rescued, the kid's kind of freaked out. What does a kid usually do? Doesn't want mom or dad to leave. Holding on holding on to mom and dad and mom and dad are holding on to him that's exactly what Paul is saying here I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own so as you think about growing and maturing in your faith and you you think about not arriving hold on to Jesus as you think about your heavenly home and living in light of your heavenly home. Know he's got you. In this world. Whatever happens in this world. As you think about the influencers. And the wise people you want to put in your life. they're going to let you, Those people too will let you down. But he's got you. And as you think about. Living not in the past. Which is a challenge every day. But living forward. Living to take hold of that prize. Know he's there. And know that he has you. So if you want to grow, Christ is the key ingredient for growth. He's holding on to you. He's the light that you need to grow. He's the water to fuel your growth. And He is holding you and supporting you. Do you believe that? Do you trust that? That's how you grow in your faith. Colossians 2, and I'll close with this, says this. Colossians 2, 6 and 7 says it this way. Just as you've received Christ... As Lord, walk in Him, being rooted and built up and established in your faith. Be rooted in Christ, C3. Let me pray. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. We're thankful for an understanding better of how to grow in our faith. And so, Lord, I pray for us. I pray that we would forget what lies behind and press on to what the upward call that we have in Christ, that we would focus and fix our gaze like a sprinter on Jesus, that we would not look back, but we would look forward, that we would be encouraged and challenged to grow by other people in our community around us, that we would look to heaven, our heavenly home, and live in light of that today. And Lord, I pray that while we realize, many of us, that we haven't arrived, we know that Christ has us that we can trust in that. We love you and we thank you for time to gather today. We thank you for your word that applies 2000 years later. Applies to our lives in so many ways in Jesus name. Amen.